I'd like to ask you to join me today in the gospel according to Luke chapter number 6 as we continue our verse-by-verse study through Luke's account of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we have been seeing over the last couple Sundays the transition of the Pharisees from investigating to antagonizing Jesus. Do you remember what event led to that transition? It was the healing of the paralytic whose friends broke open the roof and let let him down into the midst at the feet of Jesus before healing him physically Jesus looked at him and said son your sins are forgiven the Pharisees immediately began thinking in their heart no one can forgive sins but God and they thought that but they misidentified who Jesus is because Jesus is not just a man. He's not just a prophet, a teacher who teaches us some good truths about how to live life. Jesus himself is God. And Jesus looked at them and said, Why do you think that way in your heart? What's easier? To say your sins are forgiven or arise and walk, but so that you'll know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. He turned then to the paralytic and said, I say unto thee, get up, take up your bed and walk. And he did. But now the Pharisees are constantly trying to antagonize Jesus. And Luke 6 opens with two more examples. Luke is following that theme. He, he gives us here two examples. It's clear that that's what he's doing because he says in verse number one, in, on this Sabbath day, and then he gives us in verse number six, it came to pass on another Sabbath day. So he's not just going in line with what's happening as far as day by day what Jesus is doing. He's following this theme of the Pharisees and how they're antagonizing Jesus. In this passage, I want us to see these truths in a message entitled Pharisaical Fallacies. The Sabbath day is central to Judaism. But you know, don't you, that that God established the Sabbath day even prior to giving the law. In fact, the earliest roots of the Sabbath day are found in Genesis chapter 2, and then again in Exodus 16. God's not going to give Israel the law at Mount Sinai till Genesis 19, or excuse me, Exodus 19 and 20. But even before that, when he started giving them the manna, he said, you're going to go out for five days and gather enough for each day. But then on the sixth day, you're going to go out and gather enough for the sixth and the seventh day because the seventh day is a Sabbath rest for you. And when some only gathered enough for one day on the sixth day and went out the seventh day, they didn't find any manna on the ground. And God tells them, it's what I told you. The seventh day is to be a Sabbath rest. 
that day represented the day that God set aside to rest after he finished creating the world and all that is in it. If you want to know a little bit more about the Sabbath, or by its name it's known most among Jews, Shabbat, you can look at some different articles. There's one written from a Jewish perspective that can be found at what's called the Jewish Virtual Library online. But this represents something central to them. In fact, it's a central part of the covenant that God made with his people. But by the time Jesus arrived on the scene, Shabbat, or Sabbath, had been twisted. They had taken it beyond God's intention, burdening the people with the traditions And Jesus regularly encountered this problem during his ministry. We have these two examples in Luke 6. Through them we're going to identify these pharisaical fallacies for a particular purpose. It's because these fallacies are still possible among God's people today. And we need to avoid them. Look at Luke 6 beginning there in verse 1. And it came to pass on the second Sabbath after the first that he went through the cornfields. And his disciples plucked the ears of corn and did eat, rubbing them in their hands. And certain of the Pharisees said unto them, Why do ye that which is not lawful to do on the Sabbath days? And Jesus answering them said, Have ye not read so much as this, what David did, when himself was in hunger, and they which were with him? How he went into the house of God and did take and eat the showbread and gave also to them that were with him, which is not lawful to eat, but for the priests alone. And he said unto them, that the Son of Man is Lord also of the Sabbath. And it came to pass also on another Sabbath that he entered into the synagogue and taught. And there was a man whose right hand was withered. And the scribes and Pharisees watched him. They did not watch the man whose hand was withered. They watched Jesus, whether he would heal on the Sabbath day, that they might find an accusation against him. But he knew their thoughts and said to the man which had the withered hand, Rise up and stand forth in the midst. And he arose and stood forth. Then said Jesus unto them, I will ask you one thing. Is it lawful on the Sabbath days to do good or to do evil, to save life or to destroy it? And looking round about upon them all, he said unto the man, Stretch forth thy hand, and he did so, and his hand was restored whole as the other. And they were filled with madness and communed one with another what they might do to Jesus. And it came to pass in those days that he went out into a mountain to pray. And continued all night in prayer to God. Robert Coleman, a, an author, a preacher, wrote about where the Pharisees went wrong. He writes that the Pharisees had so much respect for the original set of scriptures and wanted to protect them so desperately that they started adding to them. Then, after a while... It not only seemed helpful to make additions, but absolutely essential. For instance, if God said we could not work on the Sabbath, 
then don't even pick grain to eat just to play it safe. Don't heal people because that might be a borderline case. These traditions and additions accumulated into hundreds over the years. Soon it became apparent that they were far from optional. These laws became every inch as important as the scriptural laws, and in some instances, more crucial. The Pharisees also saw their mission as creating new laws as the times changed. If they felt the scriptures contained no moral laws to control something modern, then they would manufacture a law and announce that it was binding on man and God. New situations could not be ignored, and if there were gaps in the scriptures, someone had to fill them. Jesus found it very difficult to appreciate anyone changing God's laws. For him, it was fine if the Pharisees wanted to fast twice a week. They could do it with pleasure. The flack came when they said, we instituted this new law, and God expects you to keep it. At this point, Jesus balked and told them to back off. That's what we see happening in Luke 6, 1 through 12. From this text, let's look at three pharisaical fallacies. Areas where they messed up. Because these three are possible for you and me today. We need to avoid them in the church. Number one, I'll show you this. They elevated standards above Scripture. They elevated standards above Scripture. In the first example, Luke tells us that Jesus and his disciples are walking on the Sabbath day, and some of the disciples reached into the field and began to pluck reins off the head of the plant and they rubbed it in their hands that was for the purpose of separating it from the chaff they would throw the chaff away and then eat the heads of grain were they stealing was that the problem no legally they had the right to do this deuteronomy 23 and verse 5 said that the poor of the land could take grain out of the fields of those who had to feed themselves if anyone was poor jesus and his disciples were as they traveled and ministered so the the pharisees weren't concerned that jesus and his disciples were stealing from someone else's field and yet they took issue with this activity some scholars say it's possible that they identified as many as four separate problems with Jesus and his disciples in what they did. One writer said it this way, in the eyes of the religious leaders, they were guilty of reaping by taking the grain off the, the plant, threshing, winnowing, and preparing food. They did all four. So in the eyes of the Pharisees that were there that day, break just one of the laws they broke four here's jesus presenting himself as this authority for god presenting himself even as equal to god forgiving sin presenting himself as the messiah and he's breaking the law 
that practice of unreasonably adding to God's written commands that was seen there can even be seen among some in the Jewish community today. In fact, there was a story that went out in a paper from, New, from a town in Israel. In 1992, tenants let three apartments burn to the ground while they asked a rabbi whether a telephone call to the fire department on the Sabbath day would violate Jewish law. You see, there was, in God's law, a, a law against starting a fire. And the Jewish Orthodox mind, using electricity, which works in part by a, a fire is against the law. And so these tenants, this fire had started, and they weren't sure if it was okay on this app to call the fire department. So while they were waiting for the rabbi to give them an answer, the apartments burned to the ground. Now, in one sense, how zealous were they to do what was right? Let's not miss that in their minds. But yet, during Jesus' ministry, he said, all of this that you've added to what God actually said is wrong. You're burdening people. Jesus regularly identified this failure of the Pharisees by accusing them of hypocrisy inwardly. He said, you look good on the outside, but inward, you're full of dead men's bones. You draw nigh to God with your lips, but your heart is far from God, Jesus would say. Jesus would say, you elevate your traditions, the small things, but you allow the people to break God's actual written commands and give them an excuse for it. So inwardly, they're full of hypocrisy. Externally, Jesus said, you're full of legalism. While you're propping yourself up as the symbol of righteousness, you're far from God, and yet you're placing grievous burdens on others that they can't even hold. And so Jesus would say, what's the result of all this? You think you're drawing near to God, helping bring people close to God, but actually you're driving people away from God. So the question is, is this behavior possible today? Not, not among Jews, but among us as believers in Christ. The New Testament epistles, regularly those penned by Paul, address these pharisaical fallacies. They regularly showed up in the church then, and I submit they regularly show up in the church now. How? Through any presentation of Christ plus equals salvation. It's unfortunate that across our land and across the world, there are those who prop themselves up as followers of Christ, and yet, as they preach the word they preach christ plus equals salvation christ plus this work christ 
just these works, and then you're saved. Friends, that is a lie from the devil. You say, Pastor, that's strong language. Paul in Galatians, as he dealt with the same problem, said, If we, or even an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel unto you, let him be anathema. What is that? Accursed. Let him be separated from God and doomed to hell, essentially. Let him be accursed. Paul would write, If any preaches grace plus works, then it's all of works and not of grace. What does that mean? Salvation is all of grace. For by grace are ye saved. He didn't say grace plus. For by grace are ye saved. It is all of Jesus Christ. How else does it happen? Through preachers, teachers, evangelists, or lay people who preach, teach, or declare standards like they are a Bible and expect everyone else to hold them. I do not have a God-given right command to stand up in the pulpit and preach a standard to you like it is Scripture and tell you you need to abide by that just like I do. I don't have that right from God's Word. The Bible calls upon those of us who declare the Word of God to do just that. Declare the Word of God without adding anything, without subtracting anything. Line upon line, precept upon precept. And when I take line upon line, precept upon precept, and use it to preach my agenda or my particular viewpoint, then, friends, I am stepping outside of what God has commanded and falling into one of the fallacies of the Pharisees. It happens through believers, listen carefully, separating from other believers over non-essentials. We don't have that right. In the word of God. God's word gives us some pretty clear cues about when that is appropriate and when it's not. But when you and I take standards and use that as the basis for separating from other believers and not fellowshipping, then we have stepped beyond what God's word tells us is right and true. And we are falling into that same fallacy of elevating standards above the Word of God. How many of you own a cell phone? How many of you do the wise thing and put a case on your cell phone? Okay? Say, Pastor, I don't. You just called me unwise. Sorry. It's just a good thing to do. These are fairly expensive pieces of equipment for most of us. Now, question. If I remove my case from my phone, is this phone without a case? Yes or no? No, it's not, actually. It has a built-on case, okay? But if you're like me, you can't stand your phone's built-on case to be cracked or to be dinged up and dented up. I hate it. I want my, my phone screen encased. I, this is me. I want it to be spotless. 
If I take my case off and my screen protector off, I want you to think it's a brand new phone. That's the way I like it, okay? But what is this for? The case. What's it for? Protection. Extra protection, right? Can I tell you that that is essentially what standards are for you and me? Standards are personal and have personal benefit for, if you will, an extra layer of protection to protect you or me from the world, the flesh, the devil. That's what standards are. But do you know what happens? Often, we can be guilty of elevating this above this. Where is the real value? It's in this, isn't it? Not this. But you know what the Pharisees were doing? Here was God's word. Here's where the real value is. Here's where the absolute truth is. They were taking this and guilty of raising it even above this. Friends, it's unfortunate, but that often happens today. We are guilty often of doing the same thing. The value rests in the scriptures, and we should never elevate standards above this. Standards, yes, are beneficial. They can be used as that protection, but they should not be valued above or even treated as equal to the scripture. And when you and I begin to take standards that are personally beneficial and apply them to everyone else as if God expects everyone else to have the same standard that I do, we are stepping into pharisaical fallacies. They were guilty of that. Jesus called them out on it. Number two, I want you to see this. They elevated personal authority above God's authority. Now this is really clear in the text as Jesus himself makes two astounding claims. Not astounding to us, but astounding to them certainly. First, look if you will at verse number five. Jesus said unto them that the Son of Man stop right there. Jesus claimed for himself this title, the Son of Man. Why is this so important? It identified him with the king Daniel prophesied in Daniel 7, 13 and 14. Here's what the Bible says there as Daniel writes his prophecy. I saw in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man came with clouds of heaven, and came to the Ancient of Days, near before him. And there was given unto him, who's him? The Son of Man who come, came before the Ancient of Days. There was given him dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom that which shall not be destroyed. Daniel says, I saw in this vision one like the Son of Man who came before the Ancient of Days. What Daniel was seeing was Jesus coming before God the Father and God the Father presenting Jesus 
with his eternal kingdom. And Jesus, as he says, son of man to them, which by the way was one of his favorite titles. Over 80 times this title is used in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, referring to Jesus. They knew this to be a messianic prophecy. They knew this to be a title for the Messiah. They knew this to be a title for the everlasting king. They knew this to be a title for the greater son of David. And Jesus was claiming it for himself, no less than the Messiah. But he went beyond that. Because if you keep reading in verse number 5, he makes a second claim that is astounding. He says, the Son of Man is what? Look at it. Lord also of the Sabbath. This unequivocally placed Jesus on the same level as God. God who made the covenant with Israel at Mount Sinai who spoke to them and said, remember the Sabbath. God was in charge. He's the Lord of Sabbath. And Jesus says to them, the Son of Man, that's me, I'm the one who's the eternal king, is Lord also of, I'm God. So in one sentence, one breath, Jesus told them, I'm the Messiah, I'm the eternal king. Oh, by the way, I'm God. The one that you're claiming to speak for, that's me. The one that you claim to know and serve, that's me. The one that you're looking for, I'm him. And here's the point. Why did Jesus say this? If the Lord himself if God himself, the Lord of the Sabbath, expressed no problem with what the disciples were doing, then why in the world would the Pharisees open their mouths? I'm the Messiah. I'm God. These are my disciples. I've given them leave to do this. Why in the world would you even bother saying anything? But remember, the Pharisees didn't assign that kind of value to Jesus. But they should have. In John 5, verse 39, John records that Jesus contended with the Pharisees and told them this, Search the scriptures, for in them you think ye have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. These supposed experts of the Old Testament missed the whole point. If they, it's not that they weren't looking for the Messiah, but they were looking for a Messiah to their own purposes. Even in our text, notice what Jesus says to them in verse number 3. And Jesus answering said, Have ye not read so much as this? Now question, do you believe that Jesus really thought they had never read that story from the Old Testament? No. If you wanted someone who could quote the Bible to you, the Pharisees were your guys. If you were going to make up a team for a Bible memory competition, the Pharisees are the guys you want on your team. But guess what? All the Bible memory in the world had not led them away from their own authority and viewpoint to God's authority and viewpoint. 
All the Old Testament knowledge in the world did not bring them to the conclusion that the man they were looking at before them was more than a man. He was more than a trickster, more than a miracle worker. He was more than even a prophet. That the man they were looking at was the God-man, the Lord of the Sabbath. They hadn't come to that point, and Jesus said, you're missing all of it. If you were looking to the scriptures and God were leading you, you would know that all of it from Genesis 1-1 to Revelation 22-21 speaks of me. They had read the story Jesus referenced, but they failed to understand and apply it properly. And the same was true of their view of Jesus. They'd read the Old Testament prophecies, but failed to properly understand and apply them to Jesus. If they had done so, if they had done rightly, they would understand Jesus to be who he claimed to be. What's the application in that for us? Listen, we need to be cautious about people who claim equal authority with God first. It's unfortunate, again, that there are those who would stand before God's people and place themselves on equal footing with God. I'm not saying that they would claim to be Christ, though there are those out there today. I'm not saying that they would claim to be the Messiah, though there are those out there today who do. I'm saying that they place themselves in a position where they are as much of an authority figure in the lives of others as God himself. And that's wrong. But we also need to be careful not to place our authority on the same level as God's authority. We need to be careful not to be that person. And then we need to be careful to ascribe to Jesus the level of authority he should hold. Friends, can I ask you just plainly this morning, does Jesus hold the level of authority in your life that he should? Does Jesus have his value in your life as he should do you give jesus as much honor in your life as you should recognizing who he is does jesus have as much control and say in your life as he should friends i've often heard it said god is my what co-pilot you've heard is that really how it should be He should be first. In all things, he should have the preeminence. He is above all, and that should be true in your life and mine. Let's be careful not to elevate personal authority above God's authority. And that number three, I want you to see this. Not only did they elevate standards above Scripture, personal authority above God's authority, listen to this carefully. They elevated their heart for God above God's heart for people. They elevated their heart for God above God's heart for people. I don't want you to miss this. I believe that many of the Pharisees were well-intentioned. Do you believe Saul, who later was called Paul, do you believe he was well-intentioned before he came to Christ? 
Do you think he obeyed the law legitimately thinking that that was what he should do to please God? Do you think that when he persecuted Christ's followers, he really believed he was doing what God wanted him to do? Yes, he did. He said as much. As he would give his testimony, he would say, For God, I wreaked havoc in the church. For God, I carried to prison those who claimed the name of Christ. For God, I stood witness as they were tortured and killed. I did those things out of a heart for God. What about the Pharisees that antagonized Jesus? The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? I believe that many of them believed they were acting for God. Look how it plays out in the half of our text on this other Sabbath day. Jesus is in the synagogue teaching and the Pharisees are watching Jesus to see what he would do for the man who had a withered hand. Maybe they had even planted there to trap Jesus. They were looking for a reason to accuse him. And think about how convoluted this is. If you heal this man on the Sabbath day, this guy's got a withered hand that he can't use. It affects the quality of his life. If you heal him, you are working on the Sabbath day, thus breaking God's law, and you deserve to be put to death over that. Does that sound crazy to you? They had zeal for God without knowledge. They did not question, by the way, if Jesus could heal the man. The Pharisees weren't sitting back going, I wonder if Jesus can do this. They knew he could. They questioned whether he would. You say, Pastor, why is that important? It's important because they should have known that Jesus, having God's power to heal, meant that he was working for God. Nicodemus, the great Pharisee from the Sanhedrin in Jerusalem, said as much. John chapter 3, verse 2. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, what? We know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. Nicodemus was honest. He said, Jesus... Our decision at this point is, if you can do these things, you must be from God, because no one could do them if they weren't from God. Yet here are these Pharisees who know Jesus can do the work. They just question if he will, because if he does it on the Sabbath day, we have another reason to cut him down before the people and send him to his death. Jesus knew they were watching. Do you see that? He not only knew they were watching, he knew their hearts. Okay, Jesus, so why not just wait until the Sabbath is over and then heal the man? Why not take the man aside privately and heal him in private? I believe it was specifically because they were watching. Jesus made a point he said as much even as he questioned and confronted them. He knew their hearts. He questions them. He confronts them. He says, is it good on the Sabbath day to do good or to do evil? 
in confronting and questioning them, here's what Jesus said. You have a zeal for God, but it's wrongly applied. You're completely missing God's heart. They thought their, their activities demonstrated how strong their heart for God was, but Jesus told them, you are completely missing God's heart for people. If you know, had known God's heart for people, you would have never concerned yourself with me healing this man on the Sabbath day. Can I ask you today, in your zeal for God, are you actually missing God's heart for people? Think about these Bible principles that Jesus demonstrated and taught himself. Do you remember when they came to the house of Levi after Jesus called Levi to follow him? Why are you eating with publicans and sinners? We saw in Luke's account how they questioned Jesus' associations, and Jesus said, hey, these are the sick. These are the ones who need me. I have come to call them to repentance. But in Matthew's account, Jesus said a little more. He would ask them again, have you ever read this? That God desires mercy more than sacrifice. Hosea chapter 6, verse 6, Jesus used and showed them, God's heart is more for mercy than for sacrifice. You're concerned about your traditions, your religious rituals, and you're completely missing that God's heart is for people. Jesus would teach that loving others is more important than religious rituals. That comes from the Old Testament, Isaiah 58, 1 through 9. The psalmist in Psalm 51 wrote this, that the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, that God will not despise a broken and a contrite heart. Jesus would teach when he was asked, what is the great commandment in the law? You know the answer, don't you? What is it? To love God with all your heart, with everything you are, and to love your neighbor as yourself. God's greatest desire for you and me is that we would love him above everything else and love others as he does. Jesus revealed to the Pharisees that in their zeal for God, they were withholding doing good that was in their power to do, and that was truly evil. You think you're doing God a service by watching me, hoping that I'll heal this man so you can condemn me for breaking the law, and what you're doing is withholding good, and that is the true evil. In your heart for God, you've completely missed God's heart for people. Friends, listen carefully. If we truly have hearts for God, then we will have his heart for people. And that heart will show in love for people, doing good for them that is in our power to do, and drawing others by love to Jesus Christ. I believe we can be guilty in ways 
of having a heart for God above God's heart for people like the Pharisees will. Have you ever seen someone who hears a story about someone who needs Christ? And they hear about the mess, the brokenness of their lives. And they shake their head, not out of concern and a heart for that person, but they shake their head out of disgust. What is that? Perhaps having a heart for God over God's heart for people. And in reality, when we do that, we don't really have a heart for God the way that God wants us to. Those kind of stories, those kinds of accounts, the people that we rub shoulders with, that we can see the brokenness, we can see the mess of their lives, we should not walk away shaking our heads in disgust, but instead, as it's within our power, we should do good and show love so that God might use us to draw them to Jesus Christ. By the way, if you're without Christ, can I say that God's heart for you is clear? He gave up his son for you. He wants you to come to him that he might be your father and make you his child through simple belief in Jesus as your savior. Are we guilty of making same pharisaical fallacies that the Pharisees of Jesus' day did. Let's be careful not to elevate standards above Scripture. Be careful not to elevate personal authority above God's authority. Be careful not to elevate a heart for God above God's heart for people, which in turn, as it comes out, is not really a heart for God after all. 